Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse. And for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate demons this hell! Come on! There's rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Financial problems? I'll have to put those here to test our faith. Damn lie, I, I saw them on my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did it illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing! We are the illusion! Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast. So I've been doing this for almost a year now, and these guys I've been listening to for years, and they inspired the hell out of me to do something like this. I love their approach. I love what they do. Please welcome Kyle and Russ from the Snake Bros. <laughs> What's up, man? Oh, Thanks yeah. for having Brothers us. of the Serpent Podcast, right. to be official. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Snake, Snake Bros is the nickname, you know. Yeah. Brothers of the Serpent is the official name. That's how you find how you, it. Yeah. So how you guys doing? Doing great. Yeah, man. Really good. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for inviting us on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah. Um, so let's um let's give my audience a little background for those who aren't familiar. Uh, you know, what was the spark that got your podcast started and how did you guys get into it? <laughs> You want to tell a story? Uh, we tell ahead. we tell different stories. Do we tell yeah. different stories? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I've heard different variations throughout time. <laughs> yeah. Well, from my perspective, it was you know I uh, started listening to podcasts about mysterious things. Well, first I started researching, just you know, just reading online about various ancient mysteries, and then of course ancient aliens comes along, and then that was fascinating to watch because he's showing up at work every day going ancient. Aliens. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking man? about? <laughs> what do you mean? Sounds like me at every family gathering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I need to ask before we, what's the, what's your policy on swearing on this show? Because. Oh, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep the F-bombs down. But now, yeah. So I, I, uh, I started looking into that stuff and then I started, I found I was looking, you know, doing searches on various things and, and podcasts kept coming up, uh, but I kept getting hits for Mysterious Universe, you know, and they've been doing this for forever, right? Oh, yeah. And I was reading the articles on their website, and I was like, this is a great website, but what are, what are these posts here with the audio files? And I eventually listened to one. I was like, okay, this is amazing. I think the first one <laughs> I listened to was about the Black Knight satellite, and I was like, this is awesome. So I started listening to Mysterious Universe, and then they led me into, you know, as I listened to them, I learned about... Uh, a bunch of other shows. Uh, that's how I got 
introduced to um, Skeptico and probably Where Did the Road Go and definitely Grimerica and just mm -hmm. a bunch of other podcasts, you know, and they I would always look for their ancient mystery stuff. And I started getting really fascinated with Soraya from Where Did the Road Go, started inviting other podcasters on and having roundtables. Hell yeah. Uh, and I was like, dude, you know, and at this point it had been, I don't know, it's been years and years. And Kyle and I were basically having these kinds of discussions at work or when we're hanging out down here. And I was like, we need to get in on this, you know, on these discussions. We've been doing all this research. We've been reading all these books. We've been listening to all this stuff. And, and I was like, we, you know, we can add to this conversation. We need to be a part of it. So I was like, we should just start our own show. You know, we already have the studio because Kyle's into music. We're both into music, but he's got a studio with all the equipment already. And he's got the engine, you know, the audio engineering skills. Um, it's a bit different recording a two and a half hour show as opposed to like a seven minute song. Uh, you know, like the, I think the first time we did it, we're like, is this even going to work? Like, is this going to be able to record for two hours and be okay? Yeah. I was afraid that thing was just going to stop. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. Yeah, it worked. Uh, so yeah, that was basically like one day Kyle was just like, all right, you know what? Let's go home and we'll just record one. And that's what we did. We went home and recorded it and immediately. Yeah, I think you were showing me, I don't remember if you were showing me one or you were just telling me, you're like, damn it, man. <laughs> yeah. Scott. <laughs> like. These guys, they're getting these other podcasters on and they're all having conversations about this awesome stuff. Like, yeah. you need to start this now. And I'm like, all right, let's do it when we get home. Yeah. And he's like, uh, okay. okay. <laughs> so we came home, we recorded one, and we threw it in the trash. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> the sacrifice. That's right. Well, we needed an ancient mystery. And so, uh, yeah, that's right. You know, there's the, 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 the lost original sewed. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's still lost. People think they found it, but they haven't. How interesting that you've built a newer podcast on top of that older mystery. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> exactly. How perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so I know a little bit about you guys, obviously, just from listening to your show for so long, but uh, just remind me and, and clear something up. It was one of you was always more into the alternative stuff than the other or was it always both? Yeah, I thought Russ was always more. I mean, heavy he was kind of a it. standard model scriptard when it comes to physics. I was like, <laughs> yeah, off the, off the rails coming up with crazy theories. But we take it, turns being the 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 alternative <laughs> theory guy. When, right. when it came when it came to um, ancient civilizations and all that stuff, uh, I had I had no idea about weird alternative theories. Like I had my own ideas about. You know, at the time, before I really got into researching a lot of ancient texts, it was biblical texts, right? And I thought, you know, maybe, I think probably a lot of people who grew up learning Old Testament stories may develop theories about possible symbols in these stories. I mean, the basic one is Adam and Eve and the serpent and the tree of knowledge and the tree of life and the flaming sword and all, you know, and you're just like, what is going And the apple and just everything in there. You're like, what is really going on? Yeah. Here? What is this really saying? But in terms of, uh, you know, conspiracy theories, I was just like, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, eventually. Yeah. I'd be trying to something tell something broke. I'd be trying through. to tell them they're hiding something. Archaeological. He's like, why are they, why doing, would they, why hide would they hide this? Stuff. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, I don't know the question. <laughs> Come yeah. on. But yeah, eventually something broke through. And that was, for me, that was the Giants. Uh, oh. 
Yeah. Yeah, just, large large skeletons with uh, double rows of teeth uh, buried in the mounds in America and, uh, you know, vanishing into the Smithsonian archives. And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that may, I mean, that may stem in part from your longtime fascination with, you know, na- ancient Native American artifacts in the yeah, first place. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- those were mm. the things that really uh, got me going. Like, he would show me uh, images of some of these massive, you know, megalithic sites around the world and just looking at the joints and stuff. I'm like, how did they do this? And I'm just like, well, they did it, bro. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they figured it out, obviously. So let's not worry about it. It's it's been done. But it's like, you know, I hadn't really gone down the road of, well, let's talk about the tonnage and like, what Mm. does it take to move these types of weights today? And how did the archaeologists say that they did this uh, versus, you know, what other possibilities are there? I had never even considered that stuff, but definitely looking at the interior structure of the Great Pyramid, for example, I was just like, this is really odd. Yeah. And it looks like that may have been built before there was a period. They built a pyramid over top of the King's Chamber structure and all that. And yep. Well, weird I remember stuff, that. But, yep. But yeah, I'd never. Yeah. He definitely led me down the rabbit hole of uh, conspiracy theories and archaeology and. Mm-hmm. I'm totally buying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's cool that like your like path into this alternative world was like pretty rock solid, no pun intended, but like really with a lot of great minds and a lot of great work like Randall and and, and everybody. It, it's it's like the least crazy stuff you can really break into. And it's like gaining ground a little bit graining gaining quite a bit of credibility here and there you know we even have michael Shermer having to like publicly acknowledge yeah. graham's work and i'll have yeah. to give it another look or something you know yeah. so it's at least I'm you hurt. uh <laughs> you didn't break through into like hollow earth right away or something like that <laughs> but of course then right, yeah. then again could have so russ what was what was and like when was your kind of like fascination with alternative stuff started like was it when you were younger or did something just hit you in the face and you couldn't look away uh well uh, let's see so i've been a reader since i was very young uh always had my nose in a book of some kind or another and i loved science fiction Mm -hmm. uh so i just i mean i still have a huge library of fiction uh that i don't ever touch anymore. it's all dusty you know i know (laughs) i can't i can't read fiction anymore hardly Uh, Now, if I'm if I'm reading fiction, I feel like I'm wasting time. Uh, But but uh, the reason I loved fiction and I now understand this looking back on it, what I really loved about reading those books was how the characters would deal with some mystery in the book. Right. So you're always presented with I mean, in good stories and you you get this from, you know, from Harry Potter all the way to, to Robert Heinlein. You get you're presented with a mystery in the in the in the a fictional story and then the characters are moving around the mystery and trying to uncover what's going on and you, you're led through the process right, right that was right, what right. my favorite thing was like i loved uh i have tons of collections of short stories because they're the best ones you know and a, Hell yeah. a, a good old school <laughs> science fiction short story like the hard sci-fi the author would be watching the most recent scientific journals of astronomy or whatever and then they would read some new discovery or a new observation and then they would take that and say what is this thing what it could it be and then they'll write some 
10 or 15 page story where some character is interacting with this thing and what it might possibly mean, you know, for humans mm. to interact with this thing. Like Neutron Star is a great example of this, you know, uh, uh, Niven just sends his character off to do a single pat flyby of a neutron star. And what does that do to you inside the ship? And what does it look like? That kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. I love how, I always loved how Niven like had this great way of just tossing you into a world he created with yep. no frame of reference. That's right. And yeah. you really had to figure out what the hell you just read. Like, yeah, I yeah. know that characters did something somewhere. That's yeah. all I got. That's right. Yeah. And he would, he address, he would like in the, in the ring world series, he addresses mm. the, the question of, uh, I mean, you know, he basically puts out that, that humans came from a different planet closer to the galactic center, which is why we're not, very suited to Earth's atmosphere. And then he like does that thing with the pack protectors. I'm probably getting way too deep in the weeds for some of your listeners here, but <laughs> that's okay. But but he basically they're says there. Yeah, okay, good. Good. They're in the weeds. There he basically <laughs> says that there's humans have a third stage of development, which we've lost from being on planet Earth, you know, and that third stage is like changes you into an, an almost immortal protector of all the the breeders is what he called them, which is what we are, right? Mm. Um and it's like it completely changes the body and all this stuff. And then the protectors are very smart and like, you know, so he's just addressing a lot of ancient mysteries this way. Like he's just hinting at like, look at this paleo contact possibility. Look at this like directed panspermia possibility. Right. So a lot of these ideas were seeded into my mind from reading old sci-fi. And then uh, then there was a huge change in our life. We had a we were hit head on by a drunk driver. This happened 20 years ago. So but. I was in the hospital. I couldn't walk. Uh, they had me on all kinds of drugs, you know, and uh, I eventually left the hospital. I came home. I was still doing physical therapy, could barely move around too much. After I had played all my video games twice and read all my <laughs> fiction again, I had nothing to do. You ended up on ATS. <laughs> That's right. I'm on <laughs> above top secret looking for conspiracies and reading about weird. I'm, I'm basically hunting down mystery things that are in entertaining to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that introduced not just ATS. I was also reading entire websites about ancient mysteries. Um, oh, man. Like like uh, what is it? Uh Tribeca Pleiades or whatever. Yeah, Bibliotheca Pleiades. <laughs> Bibliotheca, and, yeah. and there was one called World Mysteries. I think I don't even know if they're still around. But I, I, once I found those, I started hunting them down and then they're showing you, you know, then you're looking at articles about, you know, about uh, out of place artifacts, you know, so I'm looking at the London Hammer, I'm looking at these strange discs they think they found in China that have an alien writing on them, you know, all this stuff that's just like way out there. I'm like, wow, this is really cool stuff. And I'm reading it in the same way that I read fiction for entertainment. But, mm. but that eventually led me down the road where I'm like, okay, that, that one's kind of that just, I, you know, I have no way of verifying this or whatever, but this one over here, actually, I can find other things about it. People mm -hmm. are, are talking about this. I can find the Skirptard websites where they're telling you that this is totally normal and everybody <laughs> completely expected to find this thing and there's nothing weird about it at all or whatever. So it's a real object. And, you know, so that, that got me interested in that. And then that, that just kind of leads to, you know, looking at ancient sites where then I'm like, okay, well, let's actually go look at... Uh, diagrams of the pyramids at Giza or anywhere in Egypt and like, look at these strange interiors and like, do they really think these are tombs? And like, wait a minute, what's, you know, and then eventually I found Graham Hancock's book, Fingerprints of the Gods. And after that, it's a well-known, well-trodden path. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's been, it's been a long, strange journey, but it's been fascinating and fun the whole time. So yeah, yeah, for man. me, I was like that whole time, I'm, I'm, 
I mean, I've just, most of the time of my life, I've been out in the woods, like. <laughs> nice. You know, That's right. Digging, yeah. You know, looking for rocks and digging and you know, so finding artifacts became a, a favorite pastime. And so I ended up working on a lot of ranches all over the, um, this area of Texas we're in. Mm. And every time I'd find out about a new one or somebody that had a ranch that I knew I was like, dude, let's go. Let's, you know, let's go explore that place and, uh, caves, everything. So it's like, um, finding artifacts and fossils and everything became a huge fascination. And I was learning about how to recognize, um, you know, occupation sites. And in the process of that, you're looking at, uh, the geography of the landscape and like, why they choose to be where they are. And so there's all these little details about looking for, you know, where ancient people were. And then in, in the discovery of a, of an artifact, there's just this immediate overwhelming question of like, who were they? What were they doing here? You know, where did they go? Because these things are, most of the ones we're finding are thousands of years old. And, uh, that was always just a fascination to me. And, you know, and then and then remembering, like, man, when we were kids, like, our parents took us to these crazy ancient sites, like, <laughs> well, you <Cool>. know, we <laughs> yeah. were like, it, it was kind of like thinking back, just like, dang, man. And then, you know, then looking into the geography of where we moved from, I was like, like, dude, I think our one of the pieces of property that they owned and sold, um, they would buy, like, small pieces of just raw property and then kind of try to fix it up and make a little driveway in and then sell it, you know, to make some extra cash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the people they sold it to, um, I think the Smithsonian came and did a dig on that site and they like uncovered all kinds of artifacts. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's like, <laughs> yeah. right, you know, all these missed opportunities. Man, um, shit's been following you guys. <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of, you know, when, when Russ started coming down, in the middle of the night freaking out about <laughs> crazy ancient sites. It was like, you know, we, I mean, I was just immediately ready to like, yeah, let's check it out. What, you know, what, who, who are these people or, you know, I don't know. So it's, it's always been a fascination of mine just looking into the ancient past. And, and then upon finding out that what we've been taught is, um, deeply flawed and mostly made up. Right. And I, and I can understand that, in ter- you know, just history itself is, you know, there's a lot of phrases about history, right? It's written by the victors, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. But the story that we've told ourselves overall, the big picture of how we just started out with basically nothing and, and you know, slowly developed technology and, and got smarter and all that. And then now we're here. Mm. Um when when it became pretty clear that that was a, a hugely flawed story, that's when it just got um, much more fascinating to to look into, you know, and wonder about. And uh, it still is. I just can't get enough of it. Think about that's, it all the time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why you two ventured out. You finally made it to Egypt. Like, congratulations, yeah. guys. Yeah, Seriously. I've been hearing about you guys bitch about this project for so long, and you finally <laughs> made it happen. And so were you able to see everything you wanted to see, first and foremost? Did you? Was there anything you missed out on, you feel like? 
Well, there's a million details about each site that it was like, dang, uh, you know, wish I, I forgot about that. You know, we should have looked at that or. Yeah. Uh, but that's to be expected. You're so busy. Each site you probably spend two hours at. People spend their entire lives. Right. <laughs> uh, living there and working on these sites. So it's to be expected that you're not going to see everything that you want to see. But it was like. It was absolutely amazing, and I have actually had um, – I've been on trips like this before where this is just the way it is. If you want to see as much as possible, you can't spend days at one place. Mm-hmm. You just can't. So it's like good to go in and get a, a, get a broad overview, which I think two almost two and a half weeks was an amazing broad overview. Um, of the sites that are that we're really interested in, and uh, yeah, I would love to spend a week at each one of them. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you could just pull a sleeping know. bag in there and <laughs> stay yeah. for a while, really yeah. take it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let your spent, mind wander. We spent what three and a half hours walking through Karnak, and we basically saw a, a tiny fragment of yeah. it. I mean, they, they, oh, some yeah. of those sites are enormous. And then the other thing yeah. is, is you feel obligated, especially as a, as a content creator, like, well, we got to make content. So you're videoing, you're taking photographs and you're constantly focused on like, well, I need to photograph this. And then at, there were certain times when we would talk, you know, we're at, a, we, we just left a site and it's just like, damn, like, you know, I kind of want to put the phone down or the video camera down and just, soak it in because it is hard to do both you're paying attention to the video and you're like well i got to make sure this video is nice and so it's uh yeah Yeah. it's kind of it's interesting that's why it's good (laughs) there's two of us right like yeah (laughs) yeah we could switch off like okay i'll video this stuff and you you just soak it up listen to yusuf and yeah you know back and forth yeah it's interesting how as content creators automatically you it's suddenly you're trying to give the information to other people. So you're kind of just having to stand by and not really experience it yourself sometimes. And uh, yeah, you yeah. get caught up in that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then there were some goals that I had that were, you know, data collection goals that I feel like I'd pretty much failed at. It's just things that you don't think of when yeah. you're in the moment. And you're being rushed and there's a little, there's secrecy involved because, you know, you got to obey the rules, right? Yeah. Mm. So uh, there's a little bit of secrecy, and then and and then you just you miss things, and then you later you're like, ah, like I can't even I can't even tell where I was when I took that photo or when I took that video, and you know. Yeah. So there, yeah, that's <laughs> it's a learning. <laughs> there's definitely a learning curve. Yep. Yeah, that was something I was gonna I was gonna ask you about. Like you know, Zahi Hawass is now out. You know, he's been dethroned and uh, I can't remember the guy's name, Mustafa or Mufasa. Um, yeah, Amin. the new guy. Mufasa Amin. Um, I don't know. I haven't heard much about him. He doesn't seem to be a, a Hawass kind of character. Right. But uh, And I've also heard pretty positive things over the past year about Egypt being much more open than it was before. Uh, but then, of course, I've heard you guys, you know, you were just there saying this isn't going to last. People are taking LIDAR and yeah. going to town on stuff. I, so I have a bad feeling that once they learn, once they really 
somebody gets their hands on some lidar scans that somebody's done with the uh, that they're going to try to do something about. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can't they, take people's phones away from them. Definitely, they can <laughs> stop you from using it because it's it's if you were looking at someone's phone screen, it would be obvious what they were doing. Yeah. And I mean, I got shot in the eye with a laser for for videoing at one spot. Yep. Whoa. A bright. I mean, it. I was like, ah, and then it burned. Like afterwards, I was just like, oh my god, my eyes were burning. Yeah, you may have seen. I don't know if you're how much you're on. Well, I saw it on Twitter, but I know it was elsewhere. It made news. The opening of the avenue. The opening of the, of the avenue of the Sphinxes between. Uh, yeah, they yes. were. So when we were there, they were practicing for that <laughs> whole thing, and they were the big the big ceremony. The big ceremony they were doing, and they were. I mean, you can hear it in our videos on the live stream we were doing. They're shouting, and they've got this <laughs> megaphone, and they're playing this loud ass music. People and are marching around. They're practicing. The they're whole... practicing the march, and they're doing it in the dark. And like when the tourists are coming out of uh, of Luxor. You're facing down the avenue of the Sphinxes, and when they were, and we're all videoing stuff, and they obviously want to keep their ceremony secret. Whatever they're doing, they want it to be a big reveal, so we're all videoing, and they're like shooting lasers at us to keep to keep make us turn yeah, they're away. They're just like they're just shaking the they're laser shaking like this. The, yeah. just, anybody they see with a camera, they're pointing the laser at them and like shaking it all over the place. They were nailing all of us with it, and, you know. And then they were like, "I had them. one in my backpack too." I was like, "Oh my yeah, god, I want to pull it out and shoot get you back. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get into a sword fight? Yeah. Oh, a laser battle in Egypt. That's just sounds <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Yeah. I, I would have lost. I mean, <laughs> yeah. definitely would have lost. Th- this this security measures that they just seem kind of poorly planned. Like, oh crap, they're still here looking at stuff. Yeah. Like, seriously? That's, yeah, that's this what, is the best they could do. That's what uh yeah, we some of the organizers for the trip, they were like, they should have told us we could have come a different day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> instead of instead of shooting lasers in our faces, they could have just said, Hey, don't you know, close the site, don't come out here tonight because we're gonna be practicing our super, 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 super secret uh, ceremony thing. Yeah, but we were walking too. past and they're built you know, they're they're obviously preparing for something cool. They were building a golden freaking boat and, and you know, you could see them working on it. They're grinding on this thing over there and welding and stuff, and then where the people are marching, they got these dudes walking carrying poles like they're going to be carrying that thing on their shoulders. So you could definitely tell what was happening. Yeah, yeah. There's no getting around it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was pretty obvious what was going on. Yeah. So not a lot of, yeah, not a lot of cover in that area. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So um, let's see where, where should we go from here? I mean, we could talk about so many different things. What, what, uh, what was your favorite? What was the most mind blowing thing that you guys experienced about being in Egypt? Was it the size of everything? Was it like, cause I always hear that, like, you know, you think it's big until you get there and it's just so much bigger. Like the pyramids are so immense and they take your breath away. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> those first couple of days on Giza were, yeah, you know, it's hard to tell looking back if it was, if that was mind blowing cause it's the first site we visited and it's huge, mm-hmm. but I don't know. We went back there the very last day of the tour and you're still like, holy shit. Right. So it's, just, <laughs> yeah, the, it's the pyramids so are constantly mind blowing yeah. while you're there. And, uh, I, I I definitely had a big mind blown moment stepping into the king's chamber. I mean, it was just, you know, that's uh, cool. I've heard that from many people about yeah. the king's chamber. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just amazing. Like how it's it's very large. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you see it on video, and I mean, even my videos of it, it doesn't. Mm. Can't, but but going in there and, and experiencing the, um, uh, I don't know what to call it, the uh, comparison, you know, just like standing in it 
and feeling the whole size of it and and for me it was like there's there's always something about uh, like a signature of those who created it and there's some connection uh I don't know if it's exactly spiritual because people have asked me that. Like, did you have a, you know, people uh, talk about having uh, spiritual feelings or moments in the, in the great pyramid. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have initially defined it that way, but it was just like this. Uh, it was just absolutely amazing stepping in there and just seeing this incredible size of this beautiful room and the just gigantic mystery of what it is and why and who and the and the the um abilities of the people who built it you know the engineers who designed it and pulled it off and um i had that with the grand gallery i mean the grand yeah Russ, we, i could hear it in your voice when you stepped in oh my god <laughs> <laughs> because up to that point you're 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 walking through you know alma moon's tunnel which is rough and it's cool looking but it's very rough you get into the descending passage and so you're kind of doing the pyramid walk you're crouched down and it's very it's very cramped and then you you have to kind of go around the 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 plug blocks which is another tunneled hole through the core masonry so it's cramped and there's weird there's crappy wooden steps going up and then you get up you know and once you get out through that you suddenly are in this chamber that is it's absolutely enormous you know, and I came out in that thing. I was like, oh, my God, because we'd, <laughs> we'd seen corbelled chambers in plenty of other places in Egypt. They, they, they seem to be a feature of interior pyramid construction. But none of them, I mean, you know, they're all beautiful, but none of them, none, number one, were tilted. You know, all of them were flat. Like you walk, you're standing on a flat floor and the, the, the chamber itself is corbelled and it's basically horizontal to the ground. Mm-hmm. When you come out in the grand gallery, it's like that, but they've they've tilted it up forty five degrees and then they've stretched it out for hundred and twenty feet or whatever. It's unbelievably enormous and it, it's so big and so strangely tilted and all the lines or whatever. We've talked about this multiple times. It mm-hmm. there's kind of weird uh optical illusion, you know, where your your mind wants to look up and then your brain starts telling you that you're looking at a straight flat uh chamber. So right. feeling like there's gravity acting in a weird way, pulling you backwards instead of down, you know, because the whole thing is tilted. And so you're looking up and you start. <laughs> start <laughs> it's so strange. And it's just I don't know that uh, that was a yeah. Walking into the Grand Gallery really did blow my mind. Like I'd ne- I've never seen anything like it. Uh, you know, obviously, there's plenty of stuff in Egypt that there's nothing like like it elsewhere in the world. But that uh, there was just a. And again, I wouldn't call it spiritual. It was just amazing, technically mm. speaking. And and again, there's the the question of like, well, I see the builder's skill, and you know. But then on the other hand, you're like, but why did they do this? <laughs> what is this for? Yeah. You know, there's, the, there's the both the mystery, which I love, and also the the absolute amazing skill and unbelievable uh, like technical achievement of it. So. Yeah, some of it being mind blowing, especially if all of it's true. I, I, I watched uh, well, I've watched many Egyptian documentaries, but one of them that I saw a couple of years back really hit me good. I think it was Revelations of the oh, Pyramids. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's a great one. Those guys are awesome, dude. Yeah, so I mean, those Egyptian mysteries. So yeah, the way that they kind of show you that the Great Pyramid is 
what, like a microcosm of the entire earth or something, or like the North, it, it like, I yeah. can't even, I'm going to butcher scale it. Model of the Northern hemisphere, <laughs> yeah. Basically. Scale model of the Northern yeah. hemisphere. Right. Yeah. Yep. Which I mean, I don't even know what kind of perspective or knowledge you'd have to have to be able to calculate something like that to begin with other than what we have now. But yeah. then again, I don't know if I even believe in aliens. So I don't know. <laughs> right. And then the scale that they, if it is a scale model of the Northern hemisphere, the scale that they chose to use shows that they had deep knowledge of the procession of the equinoxes as well. So, so you're, you're basically diving into like, okay, they had, they had very detailed astronomical knowledge and geographical knowledge because to be able to build a scale model of the, of the Northern hemisphere, using that kind of structure with that particular kind of scale mm. uh, means that you need to know, you know, the circumference of the earth in both directions around the equator and from pole to pole. Uh, and then you need to have a deep understanding of large astronomical cycles like precession. So it's, yeah, if those things are true. And then there's all these other numbers that are built into the structure that you can find pi and phi and yeah, these transcendental numbers, which if you think about it, you know, the whole idea of a decimal place is a very, is, you know, like it's a relatively new thing. Like zero wasn't supposed to be known by ancient peoples. Like they didn't have the concept of nothing and, it, mm. and being a placeholder. Right. And the, the idea of, of, uh, I can't remember exactly what there's a term for it, but like putting a number in a certain position tells you that it, that it's uh, like 100 instead of one. Right. Like, so, so when you have one over here with followed by two zeros, that one can act as 100. Right. Mm -hmm. And that kind of decimal placement is supposed to be a brand new thing. And yet to, to calculate things like the process, procession of the equinoxes and be able to have placeholders and move them around freely, you have to understand those things. Right. So there's, there's all this interesting kind of stuff. And we saw, you know, we saw plenty of examples of hieroglyphic numbering systems and they, they didn't do that, you know. So you're you're looking at dynastic numerals. There were plenty of places where Yusuf is showing us and there's this whole panel and it's covered in all these little, you know, little uh, hieroglyphs. They're relatively simple, but it's basically they're counting stuff. Mm. You know, and it's, it's more it's more like the way that they would write it out is more like what you, uh, you know, the Roman numerals, right? Mm-hmm. So those guys, you know, you've got, they would, they write this big string of letters that equal to number, <clears throat> but they don't have decimal. You don't ever see like X, X, I, I, dot I. Right. right. <laughs> you know, they didn't have 21.1. They didn't do that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, so again, when you're going to the idea of a transcendental or a, or a, like, like pi mm. is, you know, is defined by a decimal and then an endless string of numbers. Right. You can also represent it by using other, like ratios, um, but you can't really get close enough. Yeah. Yeah. So the same thing with phi, and yet you see it in their structures that they understood this relationship of 1.618. You know. Now, I mean, you can represent these things in geometry without yeah, the numbers. Yeah, that's right. You know, there are um, methods to, you know, just with a compass and a straight edge to represent um, phi and pi, obviously. Um, and then, of course, all of the processional numbers are are embedded be in into uh, certain shapes based on their degrees of angle, but you have to start with the system that divides the circle into 360 parts and then and divides each degree into 60 parts and then divides each one of those degrees into 60 more parts. Yeah. 
once you have that system, then you basically can make geometrical shapes that are the, you know, the base shapes, the, the you know, the five platonic solids, mm. um, you know, the base, the, the main, you know, triangle square, you know, hexagon, all these shapes mm-hmm. have certain angles, right? And then when you build three-dimensional structures out of those, those uh, angles within are all processional numbers. It's, it's so... Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that system is extremely old. And uh, it doesn't... I don't... I can't read hieroglyphs, obviously, but... Um, <laughs> I haven't heard anybody talking about uh, any hieroglyphic reliefs that are describing this type of geometry. Yet it's built into their structures everywhere. So where are the engineering drawings of like the next giant pyramid that's going to have all these yeah. <laughs> all yeah. these fundamental principles built into it, right? <laughs> yeah, where are those scrolls? No. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. That's um crazy. There were certain things. So do you think? Do you think that uh, the 360, whatever that system, would have to be derived from already understanding precession? Like, in other words, like that understanding is built in, or it derives from it, or do you think that you can arrive at all the precessional numbers starting out with a 360 system and not, you know, or do you think it was basically? I'm asking, do you think it was designed with that in mind? Yes, I do. Because I mean, that's what I think too. I, I think that that number system was designed after. Um, the earth was measured after yep. the moon was measured and after the, you know, they had an accurate calendar and they understood long uh, cycles. You know, once these things were understood, I can imagine implementing a new system, right? Which created a harmony between ourselves, mankind, and where we are in the solar system and all these cycles now obviously we have 365 and a quarter day roughly or whatever um in a year so it's not perfect but it's close Mm, very close Um, some people that think that the original uh system was based on 366 days which is i think a sidereal year something closer to that but I, i don't know much about all that i just i think that 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 system was chosen just like we chose to do to develop a metric system after we developed all of these uh like chemistry and sciences that needed a system that was like unified mm-hmm. across weights and and volumes and you know that it just makes it really easy when you're measuring when you're going from one type of measurement to a totally different like a volumetric versus weight measurement of of things, and once you're able to measure the mass of the different elements, then you can, and, and you have all of this data. Then you can say, okay, well, let's 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 develop a measurement system that sort of has this harmony between all of these things that we understand about the universe. Right now, it gets really easy to to work with all that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's what it seems like to me. I um, like that, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah, so I guess the conclusion is if that if these things are built into the Great Pyramid, 
it seems plausible that that system was known and already existed at the time that that building was planned. Yep. Had to have. I mean, whether we're talking about Martians or people from another dimension or people, just people. I don't know. Like, what do you guys think of that? This like viral videos of, of this guy, like cutting through one of the megalithic blocks and like hitting it with a hammer. And I'm like, yeah, but he'd have to do that every two minutes and then drag it 500 miles. So that doesn't really work. Right. People are trying to be like solved. We figured it out. Well, no. we just had a great conversation about this the other day. Um, but what do you have? Something well, like? yeah, let's start with the cutting. I mean, okay. the, the, it Fine. depends, it depends on what you're cutting. Uh, the limestone of the core blocks is probably not that difficult to cut. I mean, difficult is relative here, relative mm. to granite, and then the and then relative to the limestone of the casing stones. Should I bring in a piece of limestone and a chainsaw? We'll just do an experiment on the <laughs> on the show. That sounds great. <laughs> Next time. Yeah, not it's not that difficult to cut. Um, right, but. When you start working on granite, it is difficult to cut. And then the the what we learned about the core or the uh, the casing stones is that stuff is also be really difficult to cut. What like what we that stuff basically here we call it chert. It's really close to being like a kind of uh, flint. You know, that's yeah, like I mean, it's a low grade. Yeah, silicate. Like it's high. It's got a high silicate content. Right. So it's almost flint, which makes it very difficult to cut and very hard. You know, but incredibly strong. And smooth, mm-hmm. and you can make it smooth if you if you've got the right tools. So that's but, the first the first problem. Then the, yeah. the second thing is that the only the granite had to come five for six hundred miles. Um, most of the limestone. Well, I, I I actually can't say that about the casing stones. I'm not sure how far away that particular source is, but most of well, the it came from Tura. Yeah, most of the core the Which core is blocks on the east bank. I think, okay, so. yeah, most of the core blocks were probably were sourced from fairly close by, but still, mm. they're big. Yeah, they're big blocks. <laughs> now it's not obviously it's not impossible. The Egyptian, the dynastic Egyptians were totally capable of moving heavy loads. Like we, you know, we went through plenty of temples that are uh, clearly dynastic in origin, and yeah. while they didn't make uh, monolithic uh, granite uh, columns, they instead built them by stacking up discs of limestone and then carving those nice and smooth. Those discs are still huge. So the so Tura, Egypt, is located about halfway between modern-day Cairo and Helwan. So I don't know where Helwan is, but I don't either. Cairo, um, let's see. Yeah, how far is that from Giza? Where's a map here? I mean, we drove for, how, how long was it? This is like an hour and a half drive from Cairo. Oh, from the airport to Giza. Yes. Cairo's I'll, a huge I'll, I'll city. I'll look this up. I'll look this <laughs> up. Cairo's it gi- is. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. So we landed at the airport, and then we spent an hour driving from the airport to the hotel. Uh, and even from the hotel, you still couldn't see the pyramids. And then from the hotel, it was another, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes to, see, to get to Giza, which is on the outskirts. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's no city up there on the plateau, but yeah. Uh, anyway, I I don't have any problem with the uh, with being able to cut and move uh, heavy loads by by people who you know uh, didn't have all the machinery we have. The question is is would they do this? You know, 
like would they not necessarily could they but first first question is would they what is it for because it's not a tomb like i don't care no. what they say it's clearly not a tomb so the, the next question is, is what is this structure for yeah aren't the aren't what we've found so far the for pharaohs and royalty have been buried in the valley of the kings yeah, there's, well, yes, there's a lot of them that were buried in the Valley of Kings. And even when we were there, you know, we went into three of the Valley of the King tombs. Uh, you still have the question, you're like, did they find these? Right. You know, and bury themselves <laughs> down in here? Or, I mean, like, were these pre-existing tunnels uh, that they went in and painted all over? And, I mean, it's actually absolutely beautiful artwork in a lot of cases. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But, once again, you get down into the bottom of it. And there's this gigantic granite box, you know, I mean, and not, and not just, not just like a sarcophagus, but some of these boxes were huge, like bigger than the, than our studio here, you know, and you're like, okay, that's a huge granite box. What is that? What is that really for? And then the box itself is executed beautifully. It's mm -hmm. this gorgeous artifact. And then there's writing all over the outside. That's like, looks like somebody's like they let a kid scratch the stuff on there because it's made out of granite and it's really hard to write on. Right. Okay. So the question is, is like, okay, so, so they let, they made this gorgeous box and then they let like Johnson write all the <laughs> on there that the Pharaoh was built in here. You know, you're just like, I don't think so. So again, you're wondering like, did they find these tunnels in the Valley of the Kings? And if not, you know, they were totally capable of digging them, I think. But then the next question is, is did they find these boxes and just reuse them? That's a big question is like all over Egypt, you see evidence of reuse of older stuff. And it's always the case that the people who are reusing the older stuff clearly did not have as much skill as the people who made the older stuff. Right. It's a degradation rather than an evolution, sadly. It's a degradation. Yeah. The newer the temple, the smaller the columns, the less good the writing everywhere, all over, all across the entire country. Do you think that's because we were huge at one point, just like the 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 flora and everything? Oh, like man. everything was much bigger. Is that the reason? Because what we're talking about here, just it's a really well framed way to put this, you know, lost civilization from the past. Because it's like, take all the cave paintings, all the the hieroglyphs, and disassociate that from what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's a different world entirely. So this could have been so long ago. We have no idea, right? They can't date the pyramids or they can, they can give us dates, but you, you know what I mean? Yep. Well, I can tell you if you had mammoths as beasts of burden, you could move a lot heavier stuff. It would be a Ooh. lot easier, right? You know, still can't get those boxes down in the, the <laughs> Seraphium. Right. And, and we're, we're saying boxes about the Seraphium, right? It's like, we're calling them boxes because every, they look like boxes, but are they hollow? Yeah. Yeah. Can they be opened? Yeah. yeah. They have lids. How heavy are those lids? 30 tons. 30 tons. <laughs> so who the fuck is open? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Wow. The box, the box, once it's cut open, you know, once it's made into a box, no, it's not no longer just a solid stone is like a hundred tons. <laughs> this does sound like Johnson. Like I made a box. How are we going to get it open? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, well, yeah. It's, it's, let my kid write on it. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what those boxes were for. Uh, they definitely weren't for the whole Apis bull ceremony because they didn't find it. Again, like the pyramids, no remains were found in these things. There was a box that they found a bunch of like uh, disarticulated and unconsolidated remains of stuff, but it was a whole bunch of things, including bull parts. 
But that mm-hmm. was a, like a wooden box or something. I don't know. Maybe it was a alabaster one, but it wasn't one of the big Serapian boxes. Mm. I, I don't know. It, you know, they they all of these were empty, but most of them I think were emptied in and in antiquity. In other words, uh, out of the twenty, is it twenty four, twenty seven, twenty four, twenty four of them, twenty three were open when it was found by archaeologists in. Like I don't know the late 1800s or whatever, and then they blasted the only one that wasn't open, the one that had the lid still sealed on it. They blasted that one open, and it was empty. Probably hoping to find something amazing. Well, yeah, who knows? I, yes, I, I would have. <laughs> they been. ran off with 23 of whatever this was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. See, to me, I've always thought that suggests that whoever came and opened the boxes to retrieve what was in them knew knew that there was that nothing. that one didn't have anything in it. Yeah. Or Ooh, it was, yeah. the only thing we put so in there was argon. Just that suggests that, <laughs> that we the, filled it with that, argon gas. Yeah, that suggests <laughs> the people that came and got the stuff were like at least inheritors of the knowledge of of the the fact that they were there and what and the contents. Yeah. Mm. So if you know, I guess maybe if there was a treasure map somewhere, <laughs> but. Yeah. But I don't know. Nicholas Cage would be on it. Yeah, I'm thinking thinking more in terms of, um, you know, a time capsule or a safe type of situation where you're putting something and you're recording what you're putting in there and you're doing it for a reason because it could be destroyed or it could be whatever. It it seems like natural disaster protection to Mm. me, but I don't know. This is just just one of the ideas. Yeah. and then later, when it's over, if it's your descendants or whatever that are like, okay, let's go, let's go get the stuff. They know where it is. They know which ones to open. Um, but, and then there seems to be this veneration of that place by later and later and later generations. So this is what you see. Like there are, when you go into this, into the. Uh, into the uh, Serapium, there's all of these little alcoves, strange alcoves on the walls of the tunnel. Now, the tunnels are very rough cut. They're nothing like the boxes. The boxes are these gorgeous, polished, beveled, uh, almost crystal-looking artifacts, you know, each one in its own little alcove. The tunnels themselves are incredibly rough. Like, they're well done, but it's clear that whoever made the place didn't they didn't care about the walls of the tunnel. They were just like, we need a we need a hollow space underground, not built, but cut out of the bedrock with a single entrance, you know, that's easy to block up or whatever. Put all the boxes in there. The boxes are what they cared about in terms of precision. Mm. But when you're coming in and you're looking at the walls of the of the uh, of the of the passageways, there are these gravestone-looking shapes carved into them, like a deep set. And it's got a you know a classic shape of a gravestone, like a flat bottom and a rounded top, and they're they're much taller than they are wide. And the story is that, that you know that that's where plaques would be set, and those would have you know and maybe they're clay tablets or even candles or whatever. But in other words, they're like little votive spots. Like if you think of you know votive candles in in a church, you see these little alcoves where they've got candles and they put a little plaque there and it says something or whatever. So these are all cut and and people's names were put in there if you paid for it. Right. It's the same thing in some of the writing in uh, in these areas where you see a cartouche and it's empty. And in other words, the idea is, is that no one had paid for their name to be put in there yet. Like the priest said, <laughs> carved this thing and they're selling, 
you know, like, hey, you know, you know, only $50, I'll put your name on the cartouche that we've carved into this ancient artifact that's being venerated for some reason. Like, why do you care? Yeah. You know, why do you care if your name is carved there? But it's like, it's, they are venerating this place. So even way after somebody had, you know, uh, gone in there and maybe taken what was in them, the memory that this was an important site that was built by the ancients, the Shemsuhor or the, the people of Zeptepi, the earliest times in their own stories, you know, they're they're still venerating these places. Like, you want to be associated with this place because these are the people of the first time. Mm. So that's, yeah, I like that. that's the idea that I get in a lot of these places. And like, that's why they're carving their names on stuff that is much older that they didn't build, right? <laughs> You're trying to associate yourself with something that your entire culture venerates as being the sons of the sons of the followers of the sons of God or whatever. Oh my God. You're describing an ancient selfie. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. to downgrade it, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ramsey's the second was big on self. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> yeah. so was there, um, was there anything you you found there you guys got to see and learn about that completely changed your perspective on on it like something that you had already had some preconceived ideas and theories about and got to see something with you know firsthand that really upgraded or or altered the way you thought about it? Yeah, one it's I don't it's kind of a minor thing I guess but uh when we were looking at the unfinished obelisk it occurred to me that because okay, this thing is it's still in the quarry and it's the biggest one. And then there's something similar to that on Easter Island, right? There's the there's the Moai statue that's still in the quarry and it's the biggest one. Now I haven't been to Easter Island to see if this is if it's the same case as what what it is in Egypt, but and then there's Baalbek. There's yeah, there's the blocks the, in the quarry and they're the that's biggest. Right. That's right. Yeah. So. This is a, it's a recurring theme. It, it's sort of a combination of this idea with being able to inspect the construction sites at various stages of construction. Because in certain places, there would be finished walls and unfinished walls and finished pillars and unfinished pillars next to each other. So you can kind of get an idea of like, okay, this is what they, this is, they stacked it up like this and then they did this. And so you get this idea of like how the builders function. Um, and then what the materials were like coming out of the quarry to the site, and then what they were like going into the building, and then what the finished aspect of the building was. And so there's taking all of that into account, I realized, and this may or may not be true, but this is what I thought, that it's no wonder that the, the unfinished obelisk is the biggest one, because it's roughed out, and it's about to have to travel possibly 500 miles, depending on where it was going. But let's just say it was going to Giza. It's going to go 500 miles. And it's not going to be finished until it's on site. Like, in other words, the stone's going to remain rough, rough cut. So with this object being, like the finished object being very particular in its proportions, um, if the person at the quarry knows that the finished obelisk has to be a certain length and a certain width and depth uh, 
and they're roughing it out and it's about to travel 500 miles, you're not going to cut it to those exact proportions because it's going to chip off a corner somewhere. Uh, the, the top of it might break off or something, you know. So you you make it large because they're going to actually take it down there and, and once they get it erected, then they're going to carve it down into the thing that it's supposed to be or, or whether it's laying on the ground and they stood it up after, I don't know. The point is, the like the even the the top of it, when you're looking at the top down and you it's it's getting wider as it goes away from you, you can tell that this is not it's not straight. The corners are not straight. Nothing straight about it. So, um, overall, it seems very straight. Yeah, it's roughed out. But it's roughed saying. out. Yeah. So <laughs> if there was a deviation in the angle by you know a few inches. That's going to determine how how much stone you have to take off to make it perfectly proportional. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking that it may not have been the biggest obelisk after it was finished, yeah. and that could be the same for the Moai statue. That, yeah, the and fun, perhaps the same for the Baalbek block. The fun thing about the Moai statue, though, is it's it already it's still in the quarry and it has a face. It's like those guys were not roughing anything else. Okay, they see, were, that's what I hadn't I hadn't <laughs> actually carving, looked at that. Yeah. One. It's already got most, you know, they've they've been sculpting it into, or unless that was done way later, which is possible. Somebody carved a face onto it just sitting down there in the quarry. Right. And you would imagine that the proportions of the face are going to be roughly the same. Yeah. I, so, yeah. So, I mean, you're, they're not going to carve out a nice nose and eyebrows and everything and then just, like, carve them down more. <laughs> so, I hadn't looked at it, but yeah. th- that was the thought. That was... But I, yes, I agree. And we saw this, like, that they they clearly were thinking about transporting the blocks, and so they'd leave them rough. Yeah, and also you saw in the buildings when a corner had been broken off that was after the stone had already been, you know, honed down to its roughly finished uh, state, they would fill it. They would they would actually cut it square. The the If it was broken off down here, they'd cut it square, and then they'd fit a little block tile in there. Yep. So, of course, if you were going to cut a stone from the quarry and send it hundreds of miles away, knowing that if a corner breaks off, the guy's going to have to cut a square out of it and fit another <laughs> block in there, you're just going to leave it larger than it needs to be. Yeah. You don't build the, you don't, you know, carve out the two by fours or the, you know, the planks until you get them out of the forest and off the logging <laughs> trucks. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And so that was that was pretty cool. That it was, I, I would say, most of the most of the um, things that changed the way I look at stuff had to do with construction methods. You know, it had to do with um, these interesting ways that they made joints in blocks and going around corners and stuff like that. We've described that quite a bit, I think, in the last and it, and it number had to, of shows. Yeah, and it had oh, yeah. it had to do a lot with the fact that. All across Egypt, there seemed to be this problem of construction jobs not getting completed for yeah. whatever reason. So once you'd been to multiple sites, you you began to have this catalog in your mind of like, okay, that one was finished out all the way. They flattened the walls. You know, this one, they were in the middle of flattening the walls and they didn't never finish it. You know, and then over here, this wall was just never flattened. They never even got to starting to flatten it, flattening it. And so you... And then in other places, you could see, because it was broken, you could basically walk, like Kyle said, you could walk to the end of the wall and look at the inside of it because it's been broken off and the, that part over there has fallen down. So you can see inside corners, 
how they fitted them together deep into the wall that you can't see if you're just looking at the face of the wall. You don't even know that those blocks are actually six feet deep until you walk to the end of the wall and turn around and look, and you're like, wow, the, the blocks are actually deeper than they are wide when you're looking at the front of the front face. Like, in other words, it's like a brick that you're looking at the narrow end. You know, the, the yeah. what you see on that's sticking out of the wall is the narrow end of the brick, and the de- and the, the long end of the brick is actually going into the wall and attaching to the interior structure. And you don't know that when you're just looking at the wall. But because a lot of these places were falling down, they were in part ruined, so you could see interior uh, specifics like that. And then as you went to more and more sites, you saw similar details or you'd see an extreme example of something and then it would become clear. And all these other places you'd been to, you're like, what the hell is that about? Would suddenly you're like, oh, ah, okay. Maybe this is what they're doing. Mm. You know, so things like blocks going around corners that became much more understandable. Uh, po- possible ways that they finished out interiors of rooms by, you know, they they leave the they leave the blocks like Kyle said rough on the front edges, and then you come in and plane it off, which makes the whole room wider, mm-hmm. which makes blocks go around corners if you do it that way. So it's it's really a you know there, there was a lot of things that not necessarily changed our view, but like made were, things were made much clearer. Or you're like ah okay here's a possible way of why it's why they're doing it this way or why it looks this way when it's finished. Seems like seems like a very humbling experience. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So we have this pattern seemingly everywhere of older structures repeatedly being built on top of uh lesser quality further ahead in time. Do you do you guys are you interested in like the the ideas about Tartaria and all that kind of stuff? Have you looked into those areas? And uh, the I, the crazy loopy idea about the 1800s and all that mud uh, floods. Really, that's not old enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Fair I mean, enough. Yeah, I've I've I have not delved into well, it, but I'm you, aware of it. I want to know what you think about it. I'm well, can you, can you briefly describe it? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been getting into it a lot the past few months. Um, especially now that I've, I've started a different podcast as well with another couple friends specifically talking about language and where languages came from. And specifically we're working on this Scandinavian story from a very, very long time ago. But, um, yeah, it's like supposedly all over the world at some point, which sounds like Atlantis to me, but I'm starting to see Atlantis more as maybe a time period rather than a specific place, perhaps. But that's besides the point. I think Tartaria, the main focus of it is that the theory is that something happened possibly in the 1800s that wiped off this whole like evidence of this civilization or something. But then there's another angle to it that, that just simply describes it as like pre-Russian history and that whole area and that they were kind of just eradicated and chased out. I'm butchering it too, because there's just a lot of missing details and it's still, there's a lot of conjecture there. I was just curious of your take on it. If you guys knew much about it. I was hoping it would spark my memory because I, I, I was reading something recently that referenced Tartaria and I know that this actually, so I can't remember what it was, 
but where I was reading it had nothing to do with this modern idea about Tartaria. And so this is, and so I was like, okay, this actually is some kind of ancient place or is it ancient uh... Tartarus or the Tartars. I think it was in Petrie's book. Yeah. And so it's it, like, this is a mysterious ancient place or something like that. Um, but the, I, I, I think some of this might be associated with gigantic, uh, like, what do they call it? Uh, geo, what are the giant figures in the ground? Uh, oh, just huge geoglyphs? That yeah, geoglyphs yeah. and stuff like that that are, that are eroded. Is that? No, not specifically. I mean, I'm sure someone's taken it there. I, I can guarantee it. But this is the, so the Tartaria stuff. Are you guys fans of Game of Thrones? Oh yeah. Chance? Okay. So you, you know the game of Dooskies. Yeah, the Dooskies, right? Uh, so just think about the Targaryens and their whole lineage, and eventually this other power decided to rip them limb from limb and destroy them, and eventually chase down the very last members of that family. For God forbid, if they ever get back to the Seven Kingdoms and tell their side of the story. Yeah. That's kind of what Tartaria sounds like a little bit, whereas, but it, it it feels like that where it seems like it was a a race of people perhaps or something that were obliterated, and a lot of people point to the Bolshevik Revolution, saying that hidden in plain sight was this these Tartars that were exterminated basically but also encompassed in that is the idea that they built all these amazing structures all over the world and that the, and that the yes modern civilization claims them as as ours but they're not really right and like that. i think we kind of need your voices on this because you guys love the technical side of this and the architectural side specifically because well, yes there's a lot of talk about the 1800s and look they got buggies and carts and their streets are filled with mud and shit and yeah. there's that cathedral that was supposedly built in this many years. Yeah. And then it gets into the world's fairs and yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I think I think the, the story that I believe is even stranger than that. Ooh, <laughs> good. <laughs> and this, but this is, you know, the fact that these, the cathedral building just sprang up like the Gothic cathedrals, this art form and the l massive labor force that had to be well-trained in all these aspects of, uh, you know, sacred geometry and architecture that hadn't been seen uh, probably, you know, for thousands of years, just suddenly shows up and they start building stuff all over the place. Yeah, we're honoring this and random the, ancient culture. Yeah, and at, <laughs> and at the same time, practically... Across an ocean, the Puebloan culture starts doing massive uh, stone construction projects in in giant cliff walls, <laughs> building cities in these overhangs that are four hundred feet above the above the valley. I mean, you know, two hundred feet from the top of the cliff. <laughs> I mean, it's That's just a nice connection. And the, and the geometry that they build into the kivas and and you know, which are these strange, mysterious structures that are all over the place in the Puebloan culture have a lot of similar geometry to uh, some of the features in these Gothic cathedrals. 
yeah, that's pretty dude. great. That's a crazy and, connection. Yeah, and uh, that and some of the weird Templar ones that are round, like that. You know, the the Kiva stuff is. Yeah, yeah. These round, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think. I think also that um, you know, uh, I don't want to get into politics here, but the founding fathers of the United States uh, revered the ancient architects as well. Yes, uh, a number of them did, and they, a lot of these guys were very well read. Uh, and they just, I mean, these people, they devoured books. They, they, they were fluent. They could read Latin. You know? So they went, they were able to get source texts and, and read that. We can't do that today. Like hardly anybody is fluent. That that's almost a dying art. Right. You know? Um, so true. this, they were fascinated by the, by the building projects of the ancient world. And so I think that is why you see these interesting geometrical layouts in the capital. Uh, and then of course the buildings look like, you know, these yeah, ancient, ancient stru Greek structures. Yeah. Ancient stuff, Greek yeah. structures. They have, they built a giant obelisk there with the mirror, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, they, because they were saying like, this is like some of the most amazing achievements of mankind. Mm. And uh, we want to emulate that. And I think that's, yeah, I, I yeah, and I think they also were students of the work of more recent people, like uh, people in the Royal Society. Like Hook, I think, was responsible. Was it Hook that like rebuilt London after the Great Fire? I think uh, so. Yeah, there were there were architects that were responsible for a bunch of stuff like over in the old world that had kind of done the same thing. They were all Im embedded in, like Sir Isaac Newton, they're embedded in alchemical texts. They're looking for ancient documents. They're interested mm -hmm. in ancient architecture. And then half of London burns down, so they rebuild it using a lot of these principles. You know, they're able to basically come in with a with a, a blank slate because a bunch of the city burned down, and they start building all these interesting street plans and stuff, and they're putting sacred geometry into it. And that kind of stuff happens over here as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there is, you know, some of the stuff I've seen with the... Um, uh, with the Tartaria stuff. I don't know how much this is specifically about Tartaria, but there's, there's, you know, people point to like, well, look at the courthouses and all these little towns all over the place and how they have the same structural elements, uh, you know, and it, 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 it signifies possibly, well, and then, and that they look different from everything else in the town, like all the right. same, town, right. And I, that, it, that's a great point. It's totally true. But what they're saying is, is like, this points to a global, or at least a, a continent-wide uh, style of building rather than just this little town. And that's, that's absolutely true because buildings like that work. The, uh, the impetus for building those like central structures in those towns was coming from a much larger society than that little town. You right. know, I don't know if that necessarily means that, it, that, that those courthouses or whatever are re are like being reused they're reused structures of some ancient lost civilization but they definitely have a global influence as opposed to a local one right and so that's what that's why they stand out from all the other buildings that are around them and right in, absolutely yeah the other aspect of the well, well people at least 
like to put them together is this mud flood idea, which I don't know how valid it is, especially since someone like Randall probably hasn't had his eyes on it. Or if he did, maybe he went <laughs> and walked away. I don't know. Yeah, you know, know, we. but that's the problem with some of these conspiracy theories. Some of them I leave out no matter what, but then others it's like, okay, well, there's some seriously weird questions here but it does seem really far out. We need more professional eyes on this. We need someone to tear it apart, you know? Yeah. And I feel like we're in this weird place where a lot of people just aren't willing to look in the weird places, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> one thing we've learned with Randall is that <laughs> enormous mud floods. Uh, I just don't know if they're responsible, if they happened in the 1800s. No, like the ones we're looking at with Randall are 12,000, 14,000 years old. Right, right, of course. So maybe he would be the right one because he'd be able to tell probably almost immediately. But yeah. what they're finding for quote-unquote evidence is just very old pictures of this time period where, or no, I'm sorry, I take that back. They're showing pictures from later in like the, ninth, the, the 1900s where there was massive excavation and all these buildings at road level were excavated way down and there's windows and doors yep. and all kinds of very strange things. And I think, I don't know. I don't know if people are just grasping at straws and, and creating a narrative or, or what, but it does. We, we can all agree that something's being hidden about overseas about the older places out there. I mean, shit, we got the Iraq war happening. That whole desert's on fire. Meanwhile, you've got Ur right there, like the oldest city in the world. So yeah. it's like shit's being skewed regardless of who we think it is or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe it could have happened here. I don't know. I mean, it's weird about the orphan trains. That's another aspect that a lot of us get into about Tartaria. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe we're just letting our fantasies get the best of us. A lot of times that is the case. Yeah. So, last, last thing I'll say about the buildings, uh, the Capitol buildings and things like that and the architecture. I can't find this and I can't remember where I heard this. So it will probably need to be fact checked since, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, we get most everything wrong. Fact check false. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something about the, I, I can't remember if it was Jefferson or um, Adams that was, when they were talking about building these structures in the capitals, that they wanted people, when they came into these structures, to revere them and have this sense of like, wow, this is like important. You know, they didn't want it to just be some cookie cutter random structure they they wanted there to be that sense of awe when you came into yeah in a sense that you're a part of a greater civilization yes. than just your little town with its you know dirt yeah roads. i mean this yeah. is this where you know in their minds this is where we're going to be doing civilization building yeah right with principles and and laws and ideas so i mean i know we're a long way from that but um, <laughs> That was that was the intent. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think having researched quite a bit on the founding fathers, like I have a lot of respect for those guys, uh, for you know the the times that they lived in uh, and what they did, and I I think that that was one of the goals, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, and then at the same time, it's like that the idea that. Um, and I don't know if this is specifically connected to Tartaria, but uh, these, these giant structures that people look up on Google Maps and they're like, look, 
You know, they're look at the design of this quarry that they're digging out, and you can see these giant faces and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I oh, I've yeah, been in, I've been in quite a few quarries. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's more out at the edge of like you know mountains or ancient fossil trees. Like, like yeah, I don't think yeah. the Tartaria guys t- go too much into that. Oh, okay, well, they, I don't know. They where feel that's like from. that those guys are in the extreme. They're the fringe. Well, out. see, that's the thing. I mean, you guys know how it is. It's like there really is no line between any of these levels. It's right, all yeah. scale invariance, right? It just yeah. kind of spirals out of control <laughs> at some level. Yeah, but but the, uh, the mud flood slash Tartaria guys that I've interacted with thought that those people were. Way too far out there. They were like, look, I feel like those are and, red bearings. Like, this just makes the whole thing look stupid. Yeah. And growing up as a huge fan of uh, Close Encounters, like Devil's Tower is like one of my favorite monuments in America. So people coming along saying it's a tree on, took bro. me by surprise. But then again, there's some weird shit there too that I want someone more professional to look at because it's something about the shape of the cellular structure of a tree. And then apparently someone claims that devil's tower has the same cellular structure or something like that so it could all be it could totally be bullshit it could totally be clickbait garbage you know but it might not be i just want things clarified you know it it wouldn't even surprise me if there was some kind of symmetry in the in the crystallization uh of this amalgam of materials that is basalt Mm -hmm. and other things that we find in the natural world like in in cellular structure i mean this is like I think that's kind of, to me, that was one of the focus points of of sacred geometry is that this is the fundamental structure of everything in the universe. Yeah. So yes, cool. you're exploring sacred geometry, and you're even when it's just a, on a piece of paper with a a pencil and a compass and a straight edge, and you start working with these principles, you're going to build structures that are similar to structures that we find in the in 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 nature. Yes. Right? So it's because these I like you know it's the same with math. Like I don't I'm not a math person, but I've listened to enough of them to to know that when they when they start studying deeply that they're basically doing the same thing. They're seeing patterns that are fundamental to the nature of the universe. Right. Yeah. yeah, like another good example of that would be like, have you seen the comparison between the uh, super large structures in the universe, the way matter is strung together, and then like neurons or mycelium? Hell yeah. Okay. So love like, it. We, yeah. So are we looking at like people will look at those pictures and be like, oh my god, the We're universe living is living in a giant yeah, brain. Yeah, it's a giant brain. Or Which it might be. Or yeah, yeah. Or the whole thing's a piece of mushroom. You know. <laughs> <laughs> or it's that these patterns repeat in nature and, like you said, they're scale invariant. Mm, yes, I like that. Okay, cool. So yeah, then, no, thank you for taking me back down to earth with that one. So, <laughs> but, but like going on the, I, I was trying to look some stuff up while y'all were talking about the mud flood idea, but you know, the lust is like it is a mud flood. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And so, like, if let's say that there was a structure that let's see, people in the the Tartaria people. That's what I'm going to call those people. <laughs> uh, that they're like, hey, this. You know, th- there was a mud flood here and, you know, it buried this structure or something. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of flood are we talking about? A flowing river of mud? There's no structure there anymore. Like, that's a yeah, landslide. Structure is gone. Yeah. Structure gone. Yeah. But if it, and so if the structure is there, then it wasn't that kind of mud flood. Right. So that it, did it precipitate out of the sky? And if so, it should have a lust pattern. Mm-hmm. You have, have a, a vertical, vertical structure, structure yeah. to its to to 
you know, the sedimentary layers uh, or whatever you call them. So that should be testable. There is another theory and I'd have to look it up too. There's a certain word for it. It's something about, I think it can happen during earthquakes where when everything starts to, yes, yes, there it is. Liquefaction. So yeah, turns into gravy and then suddenly solidifies again. Yeah. And, and it I, can move, but very slowly. So, but usually mm. it, that happens and it carries all the structures with it. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The structure <laughs> right. structure is becomes part of that. And then it just, yeah, because it, the structure's foundation is in the stuff that's being liquefied. So it either sinks or, but it, the whole thing is moving. And yes, the structure goes. Yeah. And, you're basically well, picturing that and probably it's going <laughs> to shake completely apart. Yeah as well mm, true true yeah, you can have a very slow like i think this happened like going back to easter island i think this happened on easter island because you know people still get surprised at like wow the statues actually have whole bodies right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you'll notice that a lot most of them not most of them but a lot of them are buried up to their chins and yet they're still upright or they have these interesting tilts but none mm -hmm. of them are laying down. Now, obviously, if they were laying down, they'd be under the sediment and we can't see them. So there, maybe there are lots of them laying down buried under 30 meters of material. But there's plenty of them that are still standing. They have these interesting tilts. The tilts always seem to be in the direction of, of material flow off the slope behind them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, to me, implies, and because these, these the statues are kind of tall and narrow, so if it was a fast flow, it should just knock them down. But a very slow moving, you know, slow, like accumulation of material sliding off that mountain and slowly kind of going around them and burying them more and more. They will tilt very slowly and and they will not fall over because enough material has accumulated around them to keep them from falling, even though some of them have a pretty extreme tilt. Mm. Right. So that can happen. But if it happens to a building made out of blocks, it's going to be a pile of rubble. It isn't going to be intact, you know, because a building isn't like a statue. It isn't a single piece. So mm -hmm. if you have monolithic structures, they may be able to survive intact, being slowly buried over the course of decades or a century. But if it's made out of blocks, it's gonna it's gonna push one wall in, and then it's gonna fill the whole th thing up with stuff, and then it's gonna push the other walls out, and you're gonna end up with a pile of blocks in mud. You're not gonna have a building anymore. Now I know, uh, you know, in some cases the argument is, yeah, they dig down. They find the remnants of this ancient structure. There's blocks all over the place. They're not totally damaged because it was a, a like they were inundated with mud. Uh, but the foundation is still there, and they basically just rebuild the thing and then pretend that they made it. You know, mm. I've I've heard that argument. It's some of it's interesting. I don't know, but to me, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm like that that stuff is fascinating. But the fact that it's only 200 years ago, I'm like, wow. It seems like. It seems like people would remember this. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There were a lot of writers. Yeah. There's, there, you know, <laughs> the difference in literacy and the ability to write things down in the 1800s versus when you go back 4,000 years when only scribes could write things down. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot harder to find documentation from very long time ago. Whereas in the 1800s, there's tons of documents. And so I have a, and the, the, to be able to say, well, everything that is telling you that those buildings were made back then is a lie, that's really tough for me to believe. But that doesn't mean Fair it is. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like like I said, we're all at different uh, levels of how far out there we can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. I it's mean, good to I'm, ask these questions. I'm all in on giant conspiracies, but that one's that one I can't. <laughs> I can't completely, I, I would be like, somebody would have uncovered me like, actually, actually, they dug that courthouse out of the ground, you know, <laughs> some rancher just wrote it down in his journal, it should, you know, like somewhere, somebody would say, right, it. yeah, it been erased yet, I don't know.
I don't know. Well, so, you know, I'm hoping that some of my some of my listeners will hear this and they'll have better points than I'm making. So that would spark up something else. Who knows? I'm sure. I'm sure but, I can play devil's advocate on myself. Ooh, nice. So, <laughs> it's completely uh, imaginable that some modern structures were discovered. And then perhaps they were discovered in ruins and rebuilt and claimed like, yeah, we built this. Like that's, I, but all of them, I, I doubt that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is possible that, I mean, because there have definitely been ancient sites that have been discovered that were completely buried. And, uh, you know, even in modern times, we're discovering ancients. Like we just discovered like entire cities under the jungle right it's all foundations right it's foundations and stuff so the point is is that yeah so somewhere they could have discovered some amazing foundation and a bunch of blocks and just like built something and been like look what we built yeah absolutely and not given credit or not explained that it was an ancient site and then the motive may very well have been that uh they didn't want to reveal that it was an ancient site because of you know um maybe people might claim it so you just pretend like you just built it. And maybe another reason is that they're still discovering stuff and mm. they don't want to let people know that they're discovering yeah, what they're discovering. Yeah. A source of treasure. So yeah, That's I true. came up with a number of reasons, but. And there to, are political ones too. The idea that you know you don't want to you don't want to say that the people that were here before us were civilized. That's yeah. That's what absolutely hating around that idea. Yeah, but, it, <laughs> but but the idea that this is broad in terms of like, this is everything that we see. No, like, come on, you know, just, I I would just temper it a little bit. Like, yeah, it's possible that some, that this did happen in some cases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of co-opting that I see, uh, that powerful enterprises take, take part in. Yeah. They love to co-opt a good idea. I feel like that this is whether it's true or not, that the interesting thing about it is the distrust that a lot of people have in the standard model story. That's what it points out to me, right? And so people are yeah. looking, they're, they're the same thing they have ancient so, aliens. Yeah, they have so little trust in the standard model story that they're willing to look at the 1800s and say, there's a huge lie here too. Everything is fake. Right, yeah. yeah it's, right. Or Fomenko, you know, the heat, now 1500 years has been added in or something yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to compare, I feel like Flat Earth is, is part of that too. Like I don't want, I'm not comparing mud flood or tartaria people to flat earthers but i'm just saying like i feel like that's also a product of just a huge distrust in the scientific establishment you know it doesn't it's whether it's true or not doesn't matter it's so much when you're looking at it from a like a sociological standpoint of like Mm -hmm. wow look at all these people who are just like i don't believe anything you say you know right earth is flat (laughs) and build any of this shit right it's just i don't know it's 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 interesting it's it's an interesting development yeah to me it's to me it's sorry yeah yeah to me it seems like uh good evidence for bad bad leadership maybe or something you know or or too many too many times that you know what were once respected institutions of science or academia or whatever have been caught up in some scandal or another where they were totally shown to be lying about one thing or another and people now are just like whatever everything you got you guys are all paid off to say oh, yeah. whatever yeah. is that whoever your sponsors are want you to say. And uh, I and by the oh go ahead. Yeah, sorry, man. Well, I just I'm I'm 
in certain ways one of those people. Like I, I, yeah, I, I don't I, trust them. I don't trust <laughs> uh, a lot of these institutions. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I hear you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, be hard to get it back. I know that you guys don't get political on your show, and I really respect that. And and that's I, I do sometimes, but for the most part, I like to keep my head in the ancient past because. Like we were talking about before, we're looking at patterns, 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 patterns. And to me, I'm I it's all up until today in a lot of cases, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting to just follow the patterns rather than getting caught up in the current negative situation that might be going on. It's yeah. easier to just compare them to all the other things that people won't immediately yell at and run away from. Yeah. <laughs> we're OK. We're OK talking about politics as long as it's four thousand years old. That's right. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I, you, we're going to wrap it up pretty much, but uh, something to consider. I don't know if you guys have heard this about Tartaria and all the big cathedrals, that they're cathedrals. And I know you guys like electric universe theory. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> What's electric universe theory? Oh, let me get into it for you. This guy, Velikotna. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about magnetic universe? Is that what <laughs> Uh, yeah cathedrals check that out <laughs> it's an interesting one i don't know how, how how viable it is but it's fun that's great yeah it took me a while to get it <laughs> <laughs> well guys you guys it's been a real honor to have you on I've, I've listened to you guys for years and and i think you're doing great work and i really appreciate your show so thank you so much for coming on yeah, for man. those who are oh, familiar oh, oh yeah yo Yo, Electric Universe, and I want to say something about it. You say whatever you want, Kyle. <laughs> uh, basically, um, you know, I'm sort of doing like this reverse trolling <laughs> our show all the time about Electric Universe. I, uh, and it's, I, how do I explain this? <laughs> I actually it's pick a deep troll. It's like a it's a, a real deep podcast. troll. Deep yeah. nice. <laughs> I pick news stories a lot of times because they the standard model scientists are finding aspects about the universe that point to the ideas in the electric universe I, the theory, mo, hypothesis, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I find that very interesting because when I started looking into the electric universe, I was I, I was also kind of going in on my own in my own direction uh, in terms of, you know, it all started with gravity and me looking into uh, resonance and cymatics, doing experiments uh, in the studio and uh, with sound and seeing these patterns and thinking about all this. So I, I kind of come up with this whole idea. And then Russ was like, dude, you really need to look in look into the electric universe model, because like I think, you, you know, your ideas may merge pretty well with with what these guys have going so i did i did a, a deep dive on it and i listened to um everything that i could find from you know interviews and stuff while at work of wall thornhill that mm-hmm. led me to looking into halton arp uh fascinating stuff really really cool stuff and uh i love the idea as f- in terms of a um fundamental the, the basic idea that electromagnetism plays a much bigger role in uh, what the what we observe in the cosmos than mm-hmm. is given credit for. And that perhaps a lot of uh, the effects that we assume are this very strange and mysterious force of gravity are actually effects of the electromagnetic 
resonance in 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 the universe. I think that's really cool. I think it's the the idea of these giant plasma forms um, stretching across galactic clusters and causing the um, arrangement of these large groups of mass in the universe is is awesome. <laughs> and 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 that's like some of the stories that I found. It's like. Scientists discovered gigantic uh, plasma arcs across the universe, and I'm just like, yeah, wow. They're like, well, scientists are baffled by these gigantic plasma forms. You know, and so on a podcast, <laughs> I'm just like, man, I wish somebody would have, you know, like kind of come up with a model for this idea. <laughs> Theory that me like a magnetic uh, universe or something. Yeah, maybe something like that. Electro yeah. universe. Yeah. These these ideas are are really cool. Uh, so that's really where I stand, mm-hmm. but, um, I just, my problem with it is not, not a big problem, but just that I dug into it as far as I could. And then I'm like, okay, uh, I can't seem to get any deeper into this without watching videos. And I wish that they would just, um, I know there's been a lot of criticism of the scientific, you know, the, like the scientific community in terms of peer review and, you know, of course, everybody that tries to go step outside the boundaries gets slammed and slandered and destroyed and all that. Well, Graham Hancock did it. You know, mm-hmm. like the, there are guys that do it and they get destroyed, but it doesn't matter if it's solid science. It's going to ultimately catch some people's eyes and eventually, hopefully, it will prevail. That's what we have to deal with. So the idea that these guys are just going to make YouTube videos and not really do it in the, in the, in the fashion of traditional, uh, the scientific method and their excuse is that they'll, that the peer review system is corrupt. Well, I don't know what to do with it then. I'm just going to hope that somebody will eventually do it yeah, the right way, I guess. I'm, yeah, I agree. Cause I feel like even if you, sub- I mean, for everyone that's submitted, peer reviewed papers 40 50 whatever years ago that got shut down and shamed and all that yeah and we're yeah and we're still reading them we're we're still i mean think about velikovsky velikovsky was laughed out of existence pretty much right we're still reading them but you know brett's papers are there yeah so people like randall carlson can discover them and dive into them and people like in the comet research group can dive into all these papers and look at his data, look at his data collection, look at his observations. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It has Nobody to be put up against scrutiny. In a hundred years, I will be surprised if there are going to be scientists watching a bunch of YouTube videos to try to figure out, you know, to try to confirm some <laughs> observations of electric universe. Well, in a science of consensus, that's probably where it will go. So let's hope it doesn't go there. <laughs> that's all <true>. right. <laughs> you get trash for that. But anyway, <laughs> that's all right. I'll just, all right. I'll just keep trolling. <laughs> Please do, especially the reverse troll. That's a that's a fantastic tactic. Fun. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, please, for anyone who's not familiar with you, please tell my audience where they can find you. Uh, brothersoftheserpent.com has all the podcast related stuff. It's a, it's got a bunch of interesting stuff there, including merchandise or if you want to support us, but all the podcast episodes are there. We're also on YouTube. Uh, every episode is there. Uh, and 
if you're if you like to listen to podcasts through an RSS feed, we're basically anywhere you can find podcasts. We're on Spotify and everything else. Any app you choose to use. Uh, and yeah, so that's don't it. don't email Russ about Electric Universe because <laughs> uh, of the Serpent Podcast or Brothers of the Serpent at gmail.com. That's, that's <laughs> to me. Email. Yeah, so don't like don't you know, if you're gonna write very angry emails at Kyle, I'm gonna be the one getting them. Yeah, don't do. <laughs> if, oh, if you want to email me, it's I love Electric Universe <laughs> at dot. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Well, guys, it's been a real pleasure, man. I appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for the invite, man. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, pacifaria. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you will atone. What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? I mean... <laughs>